Morning. Good to see you all. You all here? Good morning. Well, we are, this has been a fun week. Last Sunday we had a, a softball tournament. Several of you played in that. You, it was a you know, softball tournament slash like slip and slide, mud ball. So it was a lot of fun. From what I can tell, there was no lasting injuries. There was a, a few bumps and bruises, but uh, everybody seems to have recovered from that. It took me a couple of days to, it was sore after that, after that couple of games. So anyway, it's good to see all of you here. I want to pray before we launch into this morning's message. So let's pray together. Father, again, we just pause to say thank you for uh, bringing us here. We just welcome your presence, God. We invite you to really speak to us, God, through your word. As we look at your story, the Bible, it's revealed in in the Bible to us. Lord, we pray that you'd really connect dots for us, Lord, to help us to see uh, this this big picture of what you are doing in the world and in our lives. Lord, help us to to really be clued into um, who you are, and how you've made us, Lord. I pray against just things, distractions in our minds, things that would really prevent us from being able to focus and hear from you this morning. Lord, would you please allow us, God, to really uh, not just understand what your, what your word says, but then to really make a commitment, Father, before you to respond to you in obedience. So we ask you for your help to do that in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, like John mentioned, we're four weeks into this Ten-part series. We're aiming to really understand the the story that God is telling. He's he's telling this epic story. So we're trying to connect the dots from creation to Christ and then on into eternity in order to uncover God's plan. Was He communicating to us through the lives of of even people in the Bible and and people in in history? And so last week we looked at the problem of evil. And we we discussed how this is is a major objection that some would have from committing their lives to Christ and really following and believing that God is good is, is the problem of evil. There's, there's evil in our world. And so we looked last week at, at the Bible's explanation of why are things falling apart. You find the answer to that in Genesis chapter 3. And, and so we're, we're, we've covered that. And so I want to invite you, if, if that's something you're wrestling with, why is there evil in this, in this world? If God is good and all-powerful, why doesn't he just deal with that and be done with that? So there really is a logical and clear explanation to that issue. And so, check it out online. It's on our website. Last week's message, along with other messages, arranged by topic and subjects. And so, But the rebellion of Adam and Eve in the garden, which is what we looked at last week, is known as the original sin. And when they sinned, they, that choice opened the door of evil into our world. But, but even when Adam and Eve rebelled and broke through this boundary, God said, you know, don't cross this, this boundary line, and they cross the line. We've all done the same thing. We all choose to live independent from, from God. We, we want to call the shots in our own lives. And so, when, when they rebelled, God revealed, even in the consequences for their rebellion, He revealed His love through a plan to redeem the whole world. You see it in the, in the third chapter of Genesis, where, where God begins to give clues that would point to the Redeemer, Jesus. And so, but this cosmic war would begin from this point. As soon as sin entered the world, now this war would begin between Satan, God's enemy, the forces that that he's in charge of, against mankind. And so there's this cosmic war going on, and God makes this promise. Look at Genesis 3, verse 15. He says this to the serpent. You know, Satan entered into a serpent, tempted Eve... 
And she was deceived. Adam, you know, they sinned. Adam sinned eyes wide open. And so they broke past this boundary line. And then this is what God says. This is the consequence to the serpent. I will put enmity. That word means hostility. So I'll put enmity between you and the woman. So between the serpent, you know, Satan, the enemy, and, and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. So there would be this cosmic war. We are the offspring of a woman, aren't we? I mean, everybody here was born to a woman. And so we're also, you know, these are the original parents of all humanity. And so there's this cosmic war going on. And it says this, He shall, someone's going to come and bruise the head of the serpent. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Now this is referring to Christ's death. And we looked at this last week, so I'm only going to just give a quick review again. But when Christ died on the cross, it was like the enemy was striking or bruising his heel. It looked like he'd won the, he'd won the battle. This is God saying, this is what's going to happen. There's a war. The enemy will strike the offspring of a woman, specifically Christ. But that would not be the the final word. Christ would raise from the dead. And when he rose from the dead, what he did is he conquered sin. He beat death, Satan. He beat the enemy in this. And so what he did was he bruised the head of the serpent. When you strike something on the heel, you can kind of keep moving. But when you strike the head, that's where the fatal blow comes. And so the, the, the effort of the enemy to block and entangle and completely trap the world would be obliterated through this plan. And God was going to work this plan out over time. And so this is what's happening. In the Bible, we see God working out this plan until we arrive at, at Jesus Christ. And we see from, from that point forward, from the garden forward, there's just this struggle with sin, and we share in the struggle. This is where we identify with the story. We feel this very real war within us to obey God and, and yet to rebel against Him. We're battling the flesh. We're battling the world. We're battling the devil. And so there are these specific consequences, though, of their decision. So God says to that to the serpent. But then to, to Eve and to Adam, He has some specific things to say. We looked at those last week. For, for, for Eve, there would be pain in childbirth. There would also be frustration and a wrestling match in marriage. This was just going to be a real battle to get along in marriage. And if you're married, you understand it's not all, it's not all just roses all the time. There, there can be a wrestling match, right? On your good days, it's like things are in harmony and you're working well together. On your rougher days, it's, it's not, you know, you know, all happy smiles. There's a struggle. Well, that goes back to Genesis 3. When we wonder, where does this come from? Why is it so hard? Well, it's because of sin. Sin entered the world, it brought problems. In relationships. For the, for the man, he said, there would be pain at work. With painsome toil, he said, you will work. By the, spread of your, by the sweat of your brow, you're going to be working all the days of your life. And at the end of your life, you're going to go back to dust. They would have lived forever. But because of sin, now death enters the world. And so there's pain and there's frustration and all of these things. And everyone is breaking down. People are breaking down. There's sickness. There's disease. And, and so we battle with all of these things. Now God, he put the, he wired these consequences in the hope that people would have nowhere else to run and turn to but to turn back to Him. Because what we typically do with pain and frustration is we go looking for solution over here and trying to fix our problem with this. and We look for self-help strategies and we, we ask for advice from everyone we know. And God's wired in consequences in order to, to get us to the point where we throw up our hands and say, God, You're the only one that really has the answers. I'm going to draw close to You. And we'd return back into close relationship with Him. But for some reason... Because of sin, it's just difficult for us to trust God 
And it's difficult for us to turn to Him. So last week, we looked at that. And we looked at how sin, evil, pain, death, all, all of those issues are explained in Genesis 3. So now we're in Genesis 4. And we're going to start moving much faster through, through this. Because we're only taking 10 weeks for this, this whole series. But we're going to, we're going to look at what, what happens in Genesis 4 through 22 today. Okay? And so we're going to try to cover some ground in, in not, not a long period of time. But Genesis 4 records the, the first sacrificial offerings made, made to God. And so you have Adam and Eve, they, they are forced out of the Garden of Eden. They're blocked from ever returning back to it. But they obey what God said, which was to fill the earth, to multiply, to, you know, to, to form this family. And so they, they have two sons initially. They have Cain and Abel. And the way this, this story is written about Cain and Abel is it becomes a study in, in contrast. Okay? You have these two, these two boys, but as they grow up, you see this contrast in their life. Abel's offering is accepted, and he brings an offering to God, and it's, it's accepted. He was a shepherd, and he gave the best of the firstborn lamb. This was the best he could give, and he had the faith to exercise that, or he, he had the faith to do that. And he sacrificed something very precious, this very best and first offering he could give. Cain, the older brother, he gives a gift as well. But his gift is rejected. He, he was a farmer. And so what he does is he takes some crops, some of his crops. It says he takes an offering from, from the fruit of the ground. And he gives that to God. But the contrast is one brother gave his first and best, while the other one gave kind of like a leftover offering to God. And I want you to look carefully at how the offerings are described. This is in Genesis uh, 4, verses 3 and 4. It says, In the course of time, Cain brought to the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground, and Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat portions, and the Lord had regard for Abel and his offering. And so, you've got this, but for Cain and his, look at what it says, but for Cain and his offering, he had no regard. So Cain was very angry, and his faith fell. God didn't receive this offering, and, and Cain turns inward. He starts stewing on his anger. He realizes that it, his brother's gift was was received by God. Now, it's not explained in the passage, but somehow these two boys who are now men had, had been taught, probably by mom and dad, that it's right to honor God with a sacrificial offering out of what you've produced. So they're bringing an offering to God out of the fruit of their labor or out of their earnings or out of their income, basically. And so two lessons to kind of log in your mind regarding Cain and Abel is that a sacrifice, you know, it must be sacrificial if it's going to please God. A sacrificial offering is what pleases God. Okay? And then second, what pleases God is stretching to give the first and best in faith. This is what you see in this story. The New Testament, it looks back to the gift that Abel gave and it calls it a faith gift. It says the reason it was accepted is because it was offered in faith. The writer of the book of Hebrews tells us that. And so a pattern emerges in many of the stories and, and, and in my experience, as you walk with God, God keeps asking us to give more than we think we, we can afford in faith. He keeps asking us to take larger steps forward in faith. God, I can't afford to, to obey you again at that cost. I can't afford to... I know you want me to do this. Like for many of these folks that are getting baptized today, that's a big step of faith. To go public, that they become Christians. That, that's a huge step of faith. And so, God, that's just... I can't afford to take that step. That's too, that, that may be a little embarrassing. That, that, I, 
don't know if I want to get wet. I don't like my hair getting wet. I don't like my, you know, whatever. God keeps asking us to give more than we think we can afford in faith. Sometimes it's our time. Sometimes it's our resources. And when you give in this way, what he does, he provides more than, than we really can imagine. Now Cain, he starts stewing in anger and jealousy. And God reaches out to him. Look at what happens. The Lord said this to Cain. Why are you angry and why is your face fallen? He's wearing it on his face, but he's stewing in his heart. He says this, If you do well, will you not be accepted? Basically, Cain, your offering wasn't acceptable, but, he's, I was not pleased with your offering, but you've got another opportunity right here. You can please me with your response right now. You can, you can turn this around. I want you to do what's right. Snap out of it. And he says this, And if you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Now this is true for all of us. Our lifelong battle from when we get up in the morning is against just a propensity to sin. We're struggling to do what's right and it's just it's like crouching at the door. Look what it says about sin. Its desire is for you. Sin's desire is to dominate your life. Cain and the rest of us. That's, that's its desire. It wants to dominate our life. But you must rule over it. The wording here is the same wording that is used in Genesis 3.16. The same Hebrew words about the wrestling match in marriage, the desire to, to dominate one another and, and all of that. That's the same wording that we looked at last week as what this is saying. Sin wants to dominate our lives. Its desire is to have you, to dominate you, to control you. But you can't let it. You must rule over it. You must lead it. We have to lead our emotions. We have to lead the way we feel. Now, it's quite a story. You can read on in Genesis 4. You can read the rest of it. Cain basically caves in. God's pursuing him. He's reaching out. He's warning him. But Cain caves in and he commits the very first murder in history of a human by killing Abel out of anger, out of envy. Now, despite human rebellion, and I want to invite you to take out this listening guide. At the top it says this, God keeps pursuing a friendship with the people that He made. This is one of the things we see over and over and over. Despite human rebellion, God keeps pursuing a friendship with people. He's made us. He wants to relate to us. He wants to, for us to respond to Him and to be known by Him. And so we're going we're gonna to kind of move forward. I want to fast forward to another story later on in Genesis 12. But we're going to kind of scream past the story of, of Noah in Genesis 8. Genesis uh, chapter 5 is kind of just a genealogy of, from Adam to Noah. And basically you start seeing a list of names and how long people lived. But then it says in chapter 6, the corruption of the whole world was, was just like infectious. Like there was this cancer of sin spreading and people were becoming more and more corrupt and violent. So much so that God could only find one man and his family who were righteous on, on all the earth at that point. And so Genesis 6 verse 9, it actually says that Noah was righteous and he was blameless. There was no one like him. He was righteous and he was blameless. He wasn't perfect, but he was blameless. What that means, the word blameless means that when you sin, you, you get it cleared up. You don't just keep hiding it and covering it up and trying to cover it up and pretend like it doesn't exist. You bring it out in the open. You confess it to the Lord. You get things straightened out. And, and so for Noah, he was blameless in that way. He walked with God. He was the only one that was doing that, it says. And you might know the story. God commands Noah to build this giant boat. It's called an ark. And he says, I want you to build this ark. There's going to be a giant flood. I want you to bring every, bring a pair of every animal onto this giant ark. It's like larger than a football field. 
It's going to take you a while to build this thing. And, and I want you to build that. Put a pair of every animal in there. You and your family go on there and you'll be preserved. This is going to preserve life in the future. The flood's going to come and it did. And when the flood comes, basically Noah and his family are saved along with all these animals. And in the early chapter of the Bible, we see this pattern repeating itself over and over. Mankind rebels, God pursues. You see it with Noah. Basically, mankind was rebelling, but God said, I'm not through with these people that I've made. I want to continue to to pursue after them. And after the flood and Noah and his family exit and they walk on dry uh, land, basically it says that they, they offer up to God a sacrifice. Okay, so this, this, this idea of offering and sacrifice, you see it very early on in the pages of the Bible. You see it with, with you know, Abel and Cain. You see it here with Noah where, you know, thank you God for sparing my family, for giving us a second chance, for giving us the opportunity to start over. And so a response to God's grace and kindness is to offer a sacrifice to Him, to offer something up to Him. And that's really the second thing on here. Sacrifice is at the heart of God's plan to redeem the world. This is at the heart of what God wants to do. It's he wants to use this area of sacrifice. And we're going to see that especially in this next person we're going to look at. In Genesis 12, God starts the long process of working to build a people through whom He intends to reveal Himself and His, his plan for redemption for the rest of the world. And He begins with this man named Abram. Abram, we find his story in Genesis chapter 12. And it begins with this. It says, it says, Now the Lord said to Abram, the word Abram basically means exalted father in, in Hebrew. Okay, That's what his, his name means. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. And I will make of you a great nation. So he tells this guy to go. Later, God changes this man's name to Abraham. So when we look at these later verses in, in a bit, it's going to refer to him as Abraham. The difference is that Abram, it means exalted father. Abraham means the father of many. Or the father of a great multitude, basically, is what that name means. He says this, I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. And then verse 3 says, I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in, in you, Abraham or Abram, all of the families of the earth shall be blessed. Now this is a huge promise. If God gave you this promise, you know, he, he has a conversation with you. He says, look, through you I'm going to bless the whole world. I mean, that's what's going on here. Is God is, is making a giant promise that good is going to come through this man's family to the rest of the world. All the, all the earth shall be blessed through you. Abraham at this point is 75 years old. He's, he's an older man. And somehow, and at this point he has no children. And his wife is 65 years old. So he's 10 years. He found himself a younger woman. And, and he's, he's 10 years older. He has no kids. And the thing about Sarah is that she's barren. They can't have any kids. And in their mind, just think about what this must have, this must have seemed ridiculous. This promise seemed beyond hope. But God instructed him to go to the land. He said, go to this land. I'm going to show you the land. And what does Abraham do or Abram do? Is he just he steps out. He takes off. And the faith reflex of Abraham to God is, is something that is legendary in the Bible. And Abraham, he, he, 
he basically treks 400 miles from where he's at across the Arabian desert to Canaan. And God shows him this vast area of land. He says, you see this land? To your offspring, I'm going to give this land. He keeps saying, your offspring, your offspring. Now again, Abraham, he's, he's an old man. His wife is barren. How, how are you going to do this? How are you going to pull this off, God? And in Genesis chapter 15, Abraham is in his tent and God says, come out of your tent, look up at the sky. And he draws his attention to this vast array of stars above him at night. And he, he restates his promise about his offspring. And he says, look, look at the stars of the sky. Your offspring will be as numerous as the stars of the sky. Basically, from 75 years old, he steps out in faith. And 25 years after this moment, or after that initial embarking, Isaac is born. So it takes 25 years for God to fulfill his promise. Imagine the faith required to keep going day after day after day. Some of you aren't even 25 years old. Can you imagine living 20... Can you imagine living 10 years waiting on a promise? Can you imagine living a year waiting on a promise? And how frustrating that must be to just keep going and taking God at His Word. It would seem we would want this straight path from here to there to the promises of God. Give me the straight path to the promises of God. But life throws curveballs. And this child, Isaac, who later comes when Abraham, Abraham is 100 years old, this child is clearly the one that God has promised that he would use to raise up a whole nation. But then God directs Abraham to do something very, very strange in the story. In chapter 22, this is really where I want to focus. It brings us back to the theme of sacrifice that we looked at with Abel okay, and even Noah. And through this theme of sacrifice, God is revealing more and more of his plan to redeem the world through sacrifice. And this, But this story we're going to look at, it seems... Uh, it's, it's, it's very even difficult to read as it unfolds because it seems so absurd. Why would God make this request of this man? He keeps his promise. He gives him a son. Then listen to this request. And as you read it, it's going to seem like you're watching 48 hours or, or watching Dateline. It's hard to watch. Those stories on Dateline are hard to watch. You're kind of like, I can't even watch this anymore. And that's kind of how it is when we read Genesis 22. But the outcome of this story is good. And it elevates our understanding of what God is doing. What is His plan to redeem the world? So, here's what happens. Genesis 22, verses 1 and 2 says, Sometime later, God tested Abraham. And He said to him, Abraham, here I am, He replied. Then God said, Take your son, your only son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the region of Moriah. Go to the certain region. Sacrifice him there. What? Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains that I will tell you about. Think about this request. Now, when he earlier said, look, go to the land, leave your family, leave your father, you know, your father's land, leave the familiar, comfortable setting, and Abraham's like, okay, I'm going to step out. I'm going to trust this guy. Now he's saying, take this thing that I promised you and sacrifice, take this child that I promised you that you've been waiting for and sacrifice him there. And there, there was nothing more precious to Abraham than Isaac. And now he's being asked to give him up. This is the ultimate test for Abraham. And it was a picture that God was painting of what it would require of God Himself to redeem the whole world. Now, Abraham, he doesn't delay. This is, again, what makes Abraham's faith legendary. He immediately starts out to the place God directs him to. He was more than 100 years old at this point. He's a very wealthy man. 
He's one of the wealthiest of his era, we're told. And he chooses to saddle his own donkey, chop the wood himself to the offering. He sees the place where God told him to go in the distance, and he just prepares to make the offering. Look at verse 6. It says, Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering. He placed it on his son Isaac, basically like put it on his back. He said, we're going to go up the hill. He himself carried the fire and the knife. As the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Abraham, his father Abraham, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied, the fire and wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb for the burnt offering? He's like, you know, Dad, we've done this before. I know how this works. They've obviously done sacrifices before offerings to the Lord. Where's the lamb? This isn't, something's not adding up. Abraham answered, God himself will provide the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. Specifically, Abraham said these words. When he said, God himself will provide, he's saying in Hebrew, the words are Jehovah Jireh. The Lord will provide. But even more literally, it it, it means the Lord will see. The, The verb in Hebrew actually means to see. The Lord himself will see. He sees the offering. We don't see the offering. We don't see how God's going to do this. But God himself reveals this. He will provide what is needed here. He had that much faith to know that God was somehow going to come through. This is the ultimate expression of faith in in what was likely the the worst moment of this man's life. Even when it looked like he was going to lose what he loved so much, he trusted God. Look at verse 9. When they reached the place God had told them about, Abraham built an altar there and he arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and he laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you've not withheld from me your son, your only son. God wants to know that we will not withhold anything from him or put anything before him. This was only a test. I want, to, I want you to know this. This was only a test. Isaac was never going to die. This was a test of, of faith for Abraham. The reason is because if God is going to somehow bless the earth and call to himself a people of faith, then he needs to begin with a father. He, need, he needs a father of faith. And really, Abraham, he's the father of many, but he's the father of many people of faith. If you think about who, who Abraham is, he's legendary in that way. He trusted God to provide Look at verse 13. Here's how God provides. Abraham looked up and there in a thicket he saw a ram caught by its, by its horns. He went over and he took the ram and he sacrificed that ram as a burnt offering instead of his son. So Abraham called that place the Lord will provide. And to this day it is said, on the mountain of the Lord it will be provided. Basically he calls the place. You know, again, the Lord will provide. This reminds us, Jehovah Jireh, the Lord provides And here's the heart of what this story is all about. God is slowly revealing His plan to redeem the world. And God's plan involves sacrificing a son. God's plan involved sacrificing His son, but it was God's own son, Jesus, who gave His life on the cross to be the sacrifice for our sins. He took our place by dying on the cross. He took our place. And and in that way, this is a forward look towards the cross. This story is, is helping clue us into what God was going to do ultimately through Jesus. Now, it's interesting that Abraham, he took a three-day walk to get to the place where he was 
to perform the sacrifice. It was, it was in the region of Moriah. Tradition locates Calvary, the place where Jesus gave up His life on the cross as, as the same location as Mount Moriah. The exact site where, where God sent Abraham to offer up His sacrifice. This is the same place. And looking back, you can see what God is doing is God is pointing to the sacrifice of His own Son on the cross in that same place. The difference between Jesus and Isaac is this. It's that when God placed His Son on the altar, no one stopped the hand of those who crucified Him. God did that because it provided a way for us, to, you and me, to be right with Him. Jesus was the best offering. You know, He, he is... He was the blameless one. The only person that could have died for the sins of the world to be able to cover over our sin. He was offered up the first and the best offered up for us. And offered up for those who would trust in Him. If that's you, then, then you can experience forgiveness in your life. You can, you can begin a relationship or continue that relationship with, with Him. So the lesson we take away from Abraham's example of faith is this. It's, it's on the back of your listening guide. Is that God is pleased... Whenever we offer up to Him what's most valuable to us. Every time you do this, God, He is pleased. God often brings us to these intersections in our life where we hit a point where we're like, oh man, am I going to hold on to what's most important? Or am I going to give it up in faith and, and trust the Lord? This could be a person. This could be giving up career, job. It could be giving up a certain pursuit or a dream. It could be giving up a sum of money or giving of your free time. Anything that becomes more and more important to you than God. At one point in my life, it was, it was pursuing, continuing on a train to go into ministry when a job offer came up that I really wanted and that had all the perks that I would have wanted and realizing in order for me to obey what I sense God wanted me to do in my life, I would need to give this opportunity up. And many of you have had situations like that where you hit an intersection and God says, look, I know this is really important. I want you to give that up and take this step again in faith. And I've seen that. I've seen that here over and over. And I've had conversations. People call me up. Hey, I need you to pray for me. I'm really wrestling. I'm wrestling with this thing that God is wanting me to do. And, and I, I just need you to pray for me that I would continue to step in faith and obeying what God is asking me to do. And whenever we offer up to God what's most valuable to us in this way, He always responds by providing more than you can imagine. He is the God who provides he will provide it. This is what faith is. We surrender to God what's most important to us. And we're trusting Him to provide what we need. And the best outcome of, of as we just do things His way. Now Abraham, he didn't understand how giving up his only son would make sense or fit within God's plan to bless all the nation. Yet he just responded in faith because God commanded him to make that sacrifice. And Abraham, he trusted God would provide, and he did. God did provide. Whenever you and I, we face difficulty, when we're struggling to sacrifice, we're put in a real similar position where we need to choose to rely on God and His provision. And so the big question as we, as we conclude is this. It's what are you facing right now where you need to trust God because you don't know how it's going to work out? What are you facing right now that you need to trust God with? And you just absolutely can't see it. But you know God said, look, I'll take care of you. I can't see how. Maybe it's in some of the unknown you face, or maybe it's 
God is asking for you to surrender something precious in your life. Maybe it's a plan or a priority you have that just doesn't match His priority. I just want to encourage you to think that through. And because the, the reality is this, is that God, He is initiating. He's constantly initiating with us and pursuing us. And our, our step is, it's, it's time to just keep taking steps in faith. When you think, man, I can't take another, God calls you and says, yeah, you can. I want to lead you. I want, I want to be the one that you trust in. I don't want you to trust in yourself. Trust what you can see. I want you to, I want you to let me lead you into the, into the steps that, that you can't see how it's going to come together. And I'll, I'll come through. Here's the next steps to consider. These are the body and listening guide. My next step today is just kind of personalize as a way to just kind of take some things home with you and, and wrestle with these things. Trust God to provide the help as I face blank. And then second, surrender whatever that might be. Surrender me. You know, just offering up God the way I lead my family or finances or future or the way that I interact with this person or just this relationship. I need to offer these things up to you. And choose faith in this area. I hope you can join us again next week. We're going to be going further. We're going to be looking at a dramatic kind of rescue scene in the book of Exodus. And so I want to invite you to join us for that. And let, let's pray. Father, again, we just thank you for our time. We ask you for this. We, we pray for the faith to follow you like, like Abraham. Lord, we ask you to grow our faith in that way. That we would not withhold things but that we would continue to take steps forward, trusting that you will provide. Or continue to speak to us and bring into real clear focus the areas that you are asking us to surrender over to you. We thank you for your word and how true to life it really is that we can find ourselves in this story. Thank you for your plan, your great plan that you're working out to redeem this world. We love you. We thank you in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.